Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Podside, everyone. This is, of course, Carlo, and uh, today it's it's the old it's the old school gang. Pete is returned. Hello, Pete. Hey, man, You're kicking it old school. I love it. Well, you know, uh, I figured that uh, we'd read something that is uh, sort of hearkening to old school uh, pulpy stuff. Uh, so might as well get, uh, wait, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Um, so yeah, I figured that you, you'd get a, get a kick out of this and, uh, and also let's, let's talk about it. Cause, um, yeah, we, we are going to be discussing specifically, I believe this is a novella, um, called the helper and his hero, uh, by Canadian author, uh, Matthew Hughes, and uh, you know, I I had sort of I, I remember I remember running across specifically this story, um, sort of like led me to pick up his other stuff, and uh, this was in a. Do you want to guess what year this was, Pete? Yeah, I'm thinking uh, 2007. I'm just pulling a year out, dude. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. No shit. <laughs> no, it, it first showed up in uh, the magazine Sci uh, Fantasy and Science Fiction back in 2007. I believe this is March 2007. Uh, actually, Mar uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, it shouldn't be that funny, but like, what are the odds, dude? Well, you know, you did it. You got it right. Um, I believe this this was spread over two parts. Um, so this would have been the first part would have actually showed up in the uh, February issue, and the second part showed up in the March issue. And um, and so for anyone out there that's not really uh, familiar with who Matthew Hughes is, uh, obviously, he's a Canadian author. He he's he writes uh, mostly. It seems like uh, Vancean type riffs, um, like this, for instance. He's got a whole you know series of different uh, interlocking stories and whatnot that um, sort of. He, he I believe that he himself described these as essentially riffing on Vance's dying Earth. But but his stories take place in the age prior to the age that Dying Earth takes place in. So not everything's falling apart. There is this sense of like time and the weight of of the ages and all that stuff. But it's not quite as desperate as it is in Vance. And um, and generally, uh, it's 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 a fun read, you know, in part because it's very picaresque in that sense. Could I interject a couple of quick things here? Go for it. Okay, so the first is well, yeah, I, I can totally see Vance as as a, as an uh, amanusis or a starting point or whatever for his writing style. But I mean, even just sort of yesterday when we were riffing about this, and we should probably talk about yesterday at some point. <laughs> but but um, we each of us was able to just you know pull a few authors out of our back pocket immediately and draw some dotted lines between what was going on here i mean he's definitely he's definitely tapped into something that's been going on for a long time and like that sounds like i'm calling der him derivative i don't mean that what i mean is you know it it is it is a, a, a timeless form of storytelling it does connect with a lot of eras of science fiction and Honestly, I think that's what screwed him. 
You mm. know what I mean? It's like getting into this game, uh, particularly you know, on that level of notability in the 2000s and so on, w- might have been the worst possible time to 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 play that card because so many, like so many authors uh, that I'm aware of, like from the new wave or or even you know the cyberpunk, are basically holding on because they have this. Uh, this fan base that has been with them for years and like it's had time to percolate and grow. And I, I don't know. I don't know that he had time to do that. Well, I mean, so just to be clear, like he had uh, lots of like he he was working rather regularly um, and, and producing work rather regularly, you know, through I believe I'm seeing here on the internet science fiction or speculative fiction database. Okay. Uh, I'm seeing stuff as, uh, as recent as 2018, 2019. But since then, I think um, like he's, he's opened a Patreon, which I'm going to include in the show notes. uh, Oh, good. Good. Yeah. Because honestly, like uh, it, it makes me sad that like you're saying, like he, he, he's got like, a, a, a large amount of things published. It's really fast, like fascinating and just intimidating just to look at this list of like different characters that he's sort of like pivoted to that still are within this sort of, uh, this sort of setting, right? Uh, you know, you have the Guth Bandar, who is the, the character in this story, but there's also, uh, I, I had not noticed um, that he in- included a couple of his other uh, standbys. Um, you know, I believe uh, he he has Luff Imbri, yep. who is another character. I, I, I believe Glup Shido also made an appearance. <laughs> well, I mean, let's let's be clear here, Pete. Um, in in perfect uh, almost Luke, Lucas fashion, uh, Matthew Hughes has invented names that fit the Kit Fisto protocol, right? Yes, they absolutely do. You know, a a curt almost um, you know like monosyllabic one one syllable like a monosyllabic first uh, name and then a a two syllable last name. That's it. That's all you need. Luff Imbri. You know, like, uh, well, uh, I'm sorry, there's Hengis Hapthorn, but that's uh, just fun to say, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Uh, you know, Kurt see? There you go. I think that's a real guy. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, he's that the rich dude, isn't he? He is, he's a shithead. <laughs> he's, he's glup shithead. Um, <laughs> But uh, but anyway, what I was going to also say is um, to to uh, Hughes's credit, like he has like a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff written. And uh, but to your point, Pete, like it's it's very niche, right? Um, Mm -hmm. It's sort of like a niche of a niche. It's sort of like the science fantasy, but a specific flavor of science fantasy, which is sort of attached to dying earth stuff and and to be clear he he got uh recently i believe he uh produced a book called uh barbarians of the uh i'm gonna i'm gonna die here uh Gee, barbarians of the outworld or something it's, okay yeah it, it's something like that it's basically he is he got permission from vance's estate to continue like one of these space opera things um oh awesome yeah, it's it's pretty cool, you know. Yeah, well, um, it's there's right. this thing going on here, and like grab the reins away from me at any time, of course. But like, there's there's like a slice of pulp in here, and then a slice of new wave, and mm-hmm. not many people can like fold those two decks of cards together. But I really feel like he does, and like that alone makes me want him to have a successful career. Like transition authors, especially transition authors who happen later, is mm-hmm. crazy to me. Yeah, yeah. Barbarians of the Beyond is actually there what it's called. There we go. Okay, so um, in any case, uh, so this, uh, let's let's, do we want to talk about how we got to here, Pete? Because uh, let, let's talk a little bit about, <laughs> we were supposed to, we're going to, 
peel peel back the curtain just a little bit so that folks can see. Yeah, we're yeah. Gonna, be- we're going to record this uh, the, the the day before we're recording this now. Uh, yep, yep. It, peer behind the curtain and find me showing my ass. <laughs> That's what we have. <laughs> you, 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 you were just mooning the audience, thinking yeah. that the curtain was going to stay there, and then somebody hit the hit the pull. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, so two things happened. Um, the first is um, I've been doing a fair amount of work from home right now for. Well, m- mostly because I, ca- I can, and why the hell wouldn't you? But that means that I didn't have my headphones here, and without my headphones, we get a weird echoing effect. And w- if that happens often enough, our sound editor will drive down to my house and cut my lips off. So, like, there was one reason why we didn't want to record it yesterday. Can you tell him the other, Carlo? Because, like, <laughs> so, so <clears throat> let, let's. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to assume a bit of the blame here, Pete, because, um, when yesterday you asked me where the hell can I find this story? I gave you the link and the link leads to uh, a collection. It's called the complete as in, uh, P L E A T Guthbandar. Uh, and basically it's, it's a collection of all the stories that include that character. Um, and, and I believe that they're sort of laid out, you know, front to back in, quote, chronological order for that character. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, my failing <sighs> here was my failing here was to tell you, uh, yeah, this is the link and not reiterate that. Remember, we're reading the helper and his hero, which actually is the last story. Yeah. And uh, you, you so get a 90. the publisher. <laughs> yes. You, you get a 90% because you read all of the previous stories and ran at a time before the last one. Yeah. And I'm like, I can fake one story. He's not going to call me out on that. <laughs> and I, I can't hear it. It's like, oh, that's all we're talking about. <laughs> Amazing, amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, but you know, it, it just so happens. Uh, you know, folks out there, remember communication—it's key. Yeah, never say half a thing. Yeah, don't don't assume because you know, you know how the rest of that goes. Yep. Um. Anyway, so uh, so Pete, tell me yes. about let let's talk about the the stories that you read. <laughs> Well, so, I mean, so what did you what what did you think about uh, you know up until uh, this story you know what did you think of uh, Mr. Hughes's uh, uh, you know what what he's produced here? Well, it was it was very interesting. I mean, I I, I keep wanting to draw cross comparisons, and some of them aren't very good. I'm just not going to restrain myself. Uh, one of the things that it reminds me of is like, God, I don't know, Buffy. Where, mm-hmm. like, there's a series of these stories that are sort of lighthearted and fun, but there's just like a flicker of something darker in it. And mm-hmm. as you move slow farther into the stories, as you get close to the big bad, if you will, like that 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 vein increases. Mm-hmm. And right. that was a very interesting way to do it because at first I'm like, oh, this is a series of lighthearted stories about a guy who can. Enter your head. (laughs) Well, not only that. So, so let me, let me, uh, describe what the premise of what Bandar is all about. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, apparently he is, I forget if he's like the Institute for historic inquiry or whatever it is. This is a book that has a lot of titles like that, that sound highfalutin, but don't really, like they convey something um, and, and in the best way, right? It's, it's a way to give you a little bit of the feeling of, oh, this is sort of like a, a, a world that has this pomp and circumstance, but also has w- very strange things like, for instance, uh, you know, like what is it? Black brilliant or the different types of brilliant that is basically uh, – Stuff that we here in this time period have thrown out into landfills and has been compressed and has now become like essentially like 
oil or a resource in the future, in this this far future. Um, it's a good bit. Oh, no, no. I, I, I love that part. Um, I also love the fact that Guthmandar uh, is a Nuanat. Uh, so basically, he is able to uh, not only is he well versed in sort of like uh, the different archetypes that make up stories uh, and, and all sorts of stories and dreams and like the stuff that, that humans love to do, right? Make stories up and, you know, base it on other stuff. Um, so I would like you to do me a favor and possibly do the audience a favor. Could you talk through the, the newosphere as if we've never encountered the concept? Because I, for, I definitely think we've got some listeners who haven't. Oh, fair enough. So, so the newosphere for, uh, in essence is for humanity. There are other sentient species and they have their own little walled off newospheres. But for humanity, basically, it's all of the collective unconscious that fe that helps feed like storytelling in general, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, and it's very um, it's it's a Jungian concept, right? This idea of archetypes and like you know the hero. Think of um, the gods in in a Song of Ice and Fire. You know, like the father, the mother. You know the builder, you know the the stranger, and stuff like that. It's almost like, like they're tarot cards. Yes, pretty much, pretty much. Yes, uh, and and so a lot of these, uh, what happens is that he's able to essentially go into dreams, a dream state, and enter into this collective unconscious to see sort of like which archetypes are gathered around a certain event you know, who's interested in what, you know, and stuff like that. And so with his knowledge of like the way, like think of the way that uh, folklorists I, uh, identify and classify different types of uh, folklore. You know, the, this isn't, uh, I don't know, I forget the, the exact uh, 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 nomenclature, but it's something like the Arns something 38A, you know, and and then it has like uh you know the 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 beastly maiden i don't know whatever you know and mm -hmm. so then there's a bunch of stuff that that branches off from there you know uh, you know just like a lot of fairy tales sort of lean on the same types of uh oh no pete save me i'm about to say the t word <laughs> they uh, lean I on think a lot we of have to yes so Nowadays, people would probably call this somewhat erroneously tropes. Yeah. Um, and uh, I do want to point out, I think we did we did like some basic searching here. Uh, and I believe that uh, good old Matt Hughes was starting to write these towards the beginning of the 2000s. And uh, TV tropes didn't actually start uh, as... TV tropes, you know, uh, actual uh, until I believe it was what 2004 was it that we looked it up? Yeah, or something yeah, to that effect. I, there was definitely a gap. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, my my bad. He he was writing, started writing these, I think, around 2006. So okay. there might be something there, but I doubt it, honestly. It because does, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, I like he, what the terminology he uses in that thing seems pretty clear that he's 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 more in a Jungian school mm -hmm. with this rather than digging through TV tropes all the time, which I mean, I personally would be very amused if that were the origin of all this, but I just don't believe it. Yes. Take that woke woke shippers. <laughs> um, oh, God. New imitation. I'm impressed. <laughs> I did that before, Pete. <laughs> but but in any case, yeah. Yeah. Like uh, our our uh, meat meat eating uh, Canadian basket case, uh, who believes he's talking about young, but anyway, uh, yeah, Hughes is definitely uh, drawing upon like pre -tro TV tropes type stuff because, like you said, it's it's he's drawing more on Jungian, uh, you know, like the 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 terminology and all that good stuff. 
uh, you know, just even collective unconscious is like a, a thing that was more Jungian than anything else. Um, so anyway, having sort of presented that as a very, like very, you know, view from 30,000 feet of this, because I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think that I can spoil much here, but because it's a lot of, a lot of it's a vibe as well as yeah. like the plot. This um, is an atmospheric read. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is there are plot elements, and it's very in, like this story is very sort of like intricate in how it um, how it works out in the end. But yeah, like there's just like uh, delightful turns of phrase, and there's lots of humor. Um, it is not uh, a bleak world, uh, even though it is a dangerous world. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's 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 get into this, uh, Pete. What it, what. What did you think of the helper and his hero? I mean, let, let's start with the title because I, I did find it a funny uh, inversion of what you'd think the title should be, right? The hero and his helper. Right, right. It, I, I, I think some of the the, uh, the blow, if you will, uh, was cushioned a little bit by me having followed his story all along. <laughs> like this guy is emphatically not a hero. Like he's not a villain, but he's he's like a Reinswind character. He's just like not really interested in getting involved in anything. Yeah. Yeah. Every time he does, he gets screwed. Yes. Well, and he's the minute he sees like he gets a whiff of adventure. He's like, okay, got to get out of here. Got to get out of here. Um, yeah, it looks looks like you're dying by yourself. I gotta go, you know. And I mean, he does it in a way that doesn't seem like he's not irresponsible about it. But he's like this, like this has literally nothing to do with me. Like, <laughs> it reminds me. I think I, I don't know if I've told you this story, Pete, but uh, a, a game like a when I was with a gaming group in Puerto Rico, uh, the guy that was running our like GMing uh, had GM'd for another group. There was a slight overlap with a couple of, of people who came by and whatnot. And um, they had played uh, Cyberpunk 2020. And one of the guys had rolled up like a corpo. Right. Mm-hmm. So everyone's busy. You know, like it's like two in the morning. They found they found out the information. They're going to take the shit down. You know, information wants to be free, man, and all that stuff. And uh, he gets up and he's like headed out and they're like, where are you going? He's like, dudes, I got to be at work. I got to be at the office tomorrow. Uh, You guys have fun. (laughs) Tell me all about (laughs) it later. (laughs) It just reminded me of that. Anyway, that's that's perfect. No, I actually I've, I've got an unrelated but similar story, I think. Uh, when, when I was in when I was in law school, um, like this older gentleman, I think he was a prof, but I'd never seen him before in his, my life, started walking past me and just froze. And he looked at me and I could sort of see his eyes starting to water. And he's like, excuse me, within the within the past week or so, did you help an old lady get out of her car and get back to her house? And I'm like. No. And he's like, oh, and that was the end of it. Like, I'm never going to know what happened there. <laughs> no closure, Pete. Fuck that. Yep. None for me. But like what what like much as I'd have liked to hear the story. I mean, come on. You got to say no. <laughs> <laughs> come on, Pete. Don't you know how to do uh, RPGs in real life? <laughs> you, see, you see the guy with the exclamation point over his head. You ask him, you, you ask him and you say, yes, yes. You know yep. exactly what he means. Um Next anyway, thing you know, you're collecting raccoon tails out in the woods. Yes. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> that doesn't sound good. Uh, anyway, so um, so let me let me uh, let me just open. Uh, let, let me read a little bit of the opening because this is uh, rather important later. Right. Um, <clears throat> Guthbandar was adrift in a formless, limitless gray nothing. Above him was nothing, ahead and to all sides was nothing, and below was nothing. But no, far down, in arbitrary direction, it was simply the view between his feet, something moved. Something tiny that, as he watched, grew larger as it came toward him. Now, Bandar felt a shiver of fear, for this no place could be only one place. 
He was adrift in the old sea of pre-consciousness, the inert and timeless realm that underlay the collective unconscious of humanity. Only one thing moved in the old sea, the great blind worm that endlessly swam its waters in search of its own tail. And only one thing could divert the worm from its eternal, futile quest. As early Nuanots had discovered when they had hacked their way through the floor of the commons and dipped into the pearl-gray nothingness beneath, the worm sensed any consciousness that entered the old sea and inherently swam to devour it. It is a dream, of course, Bandar told himself. He applied the Nuanot techniques that would allow him to take charge of the dream, to change its dynamic, or to wake from it. But nothing happened. He floated in nothingness, and the worm came on. Now it seemed as long as his hand. In moments, it looked to be the length of his forearm, its undulating motion hypnotically compelling his gaze. Bandar looked away, sought to concentrate on the techniques of lucid dreaming, but when he looked again, the worm was as long as his leg. Its great dark circle of a mouth, rimmed with triangular teeth, grew larger as he watched. So there we go. <laughs> Interesting opening, wouldn't you say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a little eye-catching. Yep, for sure. Um, but yeah, um, I, I just find it really interesting that he starts off like with this, this image. And it, what it brought to mind as I was reading about like this idea of like underneath the, you know, the quote commons, uh, which is basically the, the the collective unconscious of humanity. Um, there is like the sea of pre-consciousness. And so like right away you get like, oh, the old blind worm, but it's, it's also chasing its tail. So it, it immediately, he's immediately like evoking like, you know, Jormungandr and, you know, like the, the world serpent and all that stuff. Uh, I mean, if you know what, what that all is if you don't Mm -hmm. it's still fun uh i think that that's that's a talent and thematically all of the short stories i'm dropping that card on you has that sort of thing in it like he meets somebody and you're like well that's thor well i mean this dude doesn't know who thor is Mm -hmm. you know it's 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 just it's all tied into the collective unconscious so it's it's like parts of the story are being told to you that aren't being told to the protagonist which is a fun trick Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a. I I do love that there is a sort of a a, a multi layeredness to this, where he's never winking at you, but he gives you just enough to know. Uh, like if you if you know, you know that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I I do wonder sometimes if that's not something that also sort of like screws authors. <laughs> You know, like this idea that, um, you know, like authors that require a little bit of their audience, you know, to know something, you know, or a couple of things at least uh, so that they can sort of follow along with it. And I I do wonder um, because I, I do remember having a friend who would point out like i know like he would say like i know that they're referencing something but i don't get what they're referencing and i feel left out mm-hmm. and it would make him sort of like dr- eventually drop a book if he didn't get the full information and it's like ah, i don't know what to tell you man <laughs> like stories are built on other stories built on other stories i, I don't know what to say man <laughs> Yeah. If, but but anyway, yeah. Uh also can I point out um to to your point earlier Pete, the fact that um a lot of these stories are interconnected but in a way that uh only if you have been following it you can see where the juncture points are is right. really a talent. It's really a talent because each one of these are standalone. Um, you know, like ostensibly they're standalone. There are characters that are that may, you know, like obviously Guthmandar 
in these series of stories all is always going to be the main character. But there are other characters that you know drift in and out of their own series and into this one and vice versa, I'm guessing. Uh, because I haven't read all of his stuff, but but the Guth Bandar stories, I remember reading a fair few. And um, and I have to really you know, take my hat off because that is a talent to be able to sort of figure out how to interconnect these stories without it being d- a direct continuity. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, yeah. It, it takes a lot of talent. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree. Um uh, hold on. I need to cough. Mm-hmm. Apologies. That was quite rude. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's, it's very interesting. I, I think what, and I mean, I hate to go back to this, but, uh, what, what really interests me about his, him as an author is that he's worked very hard on a skill set and a set of choices that have been largely abandoned. Mm-hmm. Yep, and yep. that alone. I mean, it's like um, I I don't know running into somebody doing a Punch and Judy show. Like, even mm-hmm. if you're not particularly interested in watching Punch and Judy, and I would watch the crap out of that. The fact that you're seeing one is show stopping, and that's <laughs> that's where I'm at with this guy. I love them little yeah. guys hitting each other. <laughs> <laughs> Little time bandit humor there for you, um, but but yeah, like I I think that that's something like you said. I think it's something that um, has sort of fallen out of favor. Yeah, uh, we, we've sort of drifted away. That 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 isn't like the the stuff that I'm seeing now. Uh, yeah, and granted, I, based on what I've been able to see, because I cannot read everything. Right, right. Well, and I mean, like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to lead us to a dark place here, but I, I think everybody who's paying attention to fantasy and science fiction publishing right now has some concerns about the future and about how choices are being made uh, based upon a very narrow view of what's profitable, mm-hmm. and like, hell, right? I mean, it, it's it, like fi- finding people who are bucking the trend. And who are like, you know, he's got a Patreon that that really captures my attention because I want this to continue. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, it's sad to me because I, I looked up his Patreon and like his YouTube videos like, yeah, I've been forced to basically he's been sort of like house sitting and doing like odd jobs here and there to to sort of try to continue to write uh, and, and pay the bills and whatnot. And it's like really it, it sort of makes me sad because he's he's not a young author, you know, who who has a lot of time. Yeah, you know, he's he's sort of at the end of his, uh, yeah, at the end of his. Uh, I don't want to say end of his life because that sort of sounds really um, dramatic. But yeah, but well, he's, he's not getting any younger, uh, yeah. and, and you know he's he's getting on in years. Let's put it that way. Well, it it reminds me of the Varley Medical GoFundMe that was going around. I think last year It might have been the oh, year God. before. But um, I mean, that just how can he not have money? Like, how can we fail? Riders that much that one of the grandmasters has his hat out. It just makes me furious. Well, I mean, that's um, not long ago. I believe this was in, I want to say, like maybe 2021. Um, uh, Charles Saunders, uh, one of the luminaries of what's become, you know, become known as the sword and soul uh, subgenre which is basically a sword and sorcery, but like with essentially African or, or black heroes uh, in sort of like a mostly black, uh, you know, cast of characters and whatnot. Um, he, he, they were running a GoFundMe to buy a fucking headstone for the guy. You, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, oh. it's just tragic. It really is yeah. uh, like, like living off of writing is really sort of like, Unless you're someone, you know, if unless you're someone that's who's like a a, a multi million dollar a deal author, you you may end up you know dying in poverty is the problem. Yeah, uh, and it definitely yeah. I mean, and the ones I feel the most bad for are the ones who got involved before the contract changed. Mm, yeah, 
Because yeah. de- you definitely could live – like even in the 90s under the right circumstances, it was possible to live off your riding. And I mean that is really narrowed. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I mean – I brought um, this to a dark place and I said I wasn't going to. I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> it's, it's OK. So anyway, let's let's go back to the story, shall we? So uh, Guth Bandar is, I forget, he he just wants to tour uh, a place called The Swept, which is basically a huge uh, area of grasslands that is only traversable by land ship. Um, I I do love that it's basically it, it. The way it's described seems to be essentially just a gigantic ship. But with like uh, weird rotating sails, mm-hmm. like those uh, rotating uh, uh, sailcloth windmill type things, um, and several masts, and it just rolls along on the swept. And um, there he meets uh, <laughs> Flevis Wasselthorpe and his <laughs> traveling Distinguishable by his three syllable last name. Yes, for sure. And I forget what. Uh, uh, his other his companion's uh, last name is Abbas, uh, who is a very large man, uh, many chinned. In fact, uh, we we, fi- we la- find out later that uh, these are assumed names. Um, no, no big spoiler here, really. Um, but so th- they're on this land ship and everyone's supposedly uh, going in pairs on this ship because uh one of the two people is supposed to have been struck by a disease called simply the lassitude. Um, and it, it seems to be a, like a degenerative disease that slowly they start losing control of their faculties. You know, they can't move and then they can't you know, like they f- can't speak first off and then they can't move and so on and so forth. And um, so obviously they need a caretaker along with them. And Guthbandar was able to sort of finagle his way on by uh, basically uh, pretending that he had a brother <laughs> and getting the tickets and then pocketing <laughs> the other ticket and just be like, man, fuck it. Uh, so, so he's on this land ship and they're, they're headed towards, uh, you know, points unknown. Uh, and so on the ship, there's also like a weird preacher character who keeps on showing up at like the meal times uh, to ask people to you know cure the lassitude. You need to you know intone these these different uh, f- these different words and sing them out to you know sort of dispel the lassitude for a time. Uh, and uh, you know like uh, Guthbandar knowing better and actually having like a type of magic, if we wanted to call it that, uh, that is derived off of like musical notes and singing and stuff like that is like, yeah, this is, this is utter bullshit, but you know what? Not my business. I am going to continue on this journey. Uh, I love that the, um, his first encounter with someone who <laughs> calls him out on being unpleasant is uh, uh, across from Bandar, a large woman exercised unchallenged control of whatever conversation had preceded his arrival. She wore swaths of some frilled material with a braided necklace of precious metal around her waddled neck and a thick scattering of blue fire gems in her upset, upswept white hair. Her tone bespoke a habit of being listened to. Her apparent spouse, a stocky fellow with neck and cheeks discolored by a dark birthmark, sat dull-eyed to her left. His face was frozen by the lassitude's paralysis, but Bandar suspected that even in his prime, he would seldom have dared to interrupt the ceaseless torrent of her opinions. (laughs) (laughs) And we've all sat next to one of those. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) <laughs> I, I i do love um that she she turns she's like we will see wonder she declared as bandar took his seat i am sure of it she fixed the new one out with a bellicose glare and continued you have the look of a skeptic don't trouble to deny it i never err in my assessments of character it is a gift 
a gift you are clearly happy to share, Bandari said, even a complete stranger who have demonstrated no desire to receive it. <laughs> this is, I mean, this is honestly, I, I chuckle at, with a lot of this dialogue because it's, it's actually rather funny. It's, it's droll. I think it's, uh, it's got a certain uh, ironic, uh, yeah, it's got a certain ironic tone to it, but without being like trying to, or being embarrassed of itself. Right. Um, they're just they're just doing this. Yes, yes. They are in fact doing the thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I agreed and then my brain screamed. <laughs> uh. So yeah, so so basically they're they're headed out into the swept, uh, you know, like and, and slowly but surely, um what becomes clear to Guth Bandar is that uh Flevis Wasselthorpe uh, is a natural talent. Sorry. I love saying his name, man. It is so good. Um, is a natural talent at uh, essentially like being a nuanot. Uh, he's he's received no training, and Guthmandar is like, what the fuck is happening? And slowly but surely, he starts to realize that Flevas has been. He, he Flavis talks a lot about receiving a calling and it, it dawns on Guth a little too late that in fact, it, it, in fact, when they go into the commons together, uh, there's like a congregation of archetypes just waiting for them. They just turn and mass <laughs> when they arrive. And even that, even though they shouldn't be able to see them, uh, it, it's one of the things that um, is repeated a, a couple times in the story is the fact that the archetypes generally do not pay attention to anyone unless you have their interest in some way, shape or form. And it turns out like as the story progresses, it becomes apparent to Guth that Flemus apparently has caught the attention of the archetype of the capital H hero. Uh, and he appears in several forms in this. Um, so uh, the, the first form is uh, he's wearing a winged helmet and carrying a sword and has a pelt of a wild animal tied around his neck. Uh, I, I love that later on in the story, uh, when Flevas is fully um, sort of like basically, I guess you could call it almost possessed by the archetype of the hero. Yeah, that's um, fair. Basically, he, he, you know, Guthbandar is like, oh, yeah, this is the form that uh, that tore off that monster, the ogre's arm. And you're like, oh, Beowulf. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's so good. I, I I just love these little tidbits like that, you know. And and again later on, he makes another Beowulf reference. Uh, but but I I really enjoy that stuff. Um. Uh, what is it? Uh. Let me see here. Hold on. Uh, no. Yeah, I'm I'm just I I just have a couple of notes here. Is is I'm looking for something, but um. Hmm. That is not good. Anyway, um, so they they they're wandering out into the swept, and it turns out that um, there seems to be some sort of a something going on, uh, and it becomes clear to uh, to Guthbandar that you know, like it, it involves Flevas. It involves something to do with the, um, the 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 archetypes are getting involved in real world stuff uh, to interfere. Um, so, like you know, like basically, <laughs> here's here's a, a little bit of dialogue between Bandar and uh, Wasselthorpe. Uh, he says. Wasserfeld says, I do not feel irrational. My mind seems unusually clear considering that I am dreaming. 
Again, a worrying sign, said Bandar. My sense of things tells me that you are being drawn into the role of hero, and I am being pressed into the part of the helper. I want from you only advice, Wasselthorpe said. Let us be exact, said Bandar. You feel compelled to enter more deeply into the commons, and you want me to be your guide. I suppose I refuse. Why? Because the end of this is your absorption into the entity that summons you, followed by insanity and certain death. And poor Bandart, towed along helplessly in your train, suffers a comparable doom. Wasserstorp found the warning hard to believe. All will be well, he said. I am certain of it. Bandar informed him that that was always the hero's sure belief, right up until the moment the dragon's teeth closed upon his tender parts. So, <laughs> so uh, another detail here that... that um, is hinted here, but I'll, I'll be a bit more clear about it, is that if, for instance, an archetype takes over your personality completely, you essentially suffer a psychotic break. Um, and you will possibly go insane. Maybe your, your entire personality is extinguished because it's been sort of overwritten by the archetype. And let's be clear, like archetypes have essentially one or two major sort of personality elements, but they're not a personality in a human sense. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, yeah, if you're an avenging hero, all you want to do is to, <laughs> I guess, yeah, first off, find someone who to, to die and then avenge them. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's sort of it's sort of wonderful how this stuff is sort of programmed out. And just looking at uh, uh, Wathelthorpe and his personality changing as he loses or gains control of himself as the hero gains dominance, like it's it's a really it's an interesting effect. And he pays a lot of attention to it and thinks it through. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I it, it's it's honestly um, it's it's rather well you know well done and rather clever, right? Um, so as, as the, the story progresses, they find out that the, 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 you get some information that the swept used to be another, like it, it wasn't always in the form it was, uh, that they see now it used to be teeming with like cities and all sorts of stuff, but there had been like an alien invasion. Uh, it's always insect, insectile aliens who invade, <laughs> but you know, it's fine because like, I think it's one of these things that is um, because he's drawing on sort of like pulp sensibilities. It's hard to disentangle a lot of the uh, a lot of the stuff that could be problematic about that type of uh, pulp uh, element. Uh, mm -hmm. Here, it's mostly you know they're, they're mostly just a threat that has been vanquished you know eons ago, mainly because uh, they. The the Dree, uh, who are the insect people or whatever, uh, they they did not speak. They only uh, communicated telepathically, and uh, essentially they would feed. You know, they're they're sort of like xenomorphs in that sense, except psychic ones. Um, they they feed uh, their hive mind, um, sort of human consciousness, uh, and. Essentially, they can turn humans slowly into other versions of themselves. Uh, the reasoning behind this becomes clear later, in part because the hive mind and the sort of like the, their commons or their own collective unconscious does not come into being unless there's a critical mass of their number. So they, they need enough Dree around. Uh, being, I guess, thinking dree thoughts to actually uh, create a hive mind and create the commons. And so, um, yeah, so so basically, uh, after the initial surprise of the invasion, the dree were soon rolled up and confined to the territory now known as the swept. No one wanted to dig them out of their warren of tunnels, so the gravitational aggregator was brought down from space to crush and bury the invaders, along with their unfortunately mine, unfortunate mine slaves beneath the flattened landscape. Uh, just a small, it's a little genocide between, <laughs> between friends. These things happen. 
these things happens. Um, but, but, you know, like it, it's, again, I think that that's one of these things where it's, it's a pulp thing. And I don't know what to do with that because part of it is like, yeah, that's exactly what a pulp type of story would do. It would have some weird, weird aliens try to take over the minds of people or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but it's, you know, I, I still struggle with it because it's, it sort of fits like different. It can be used badly is what I'm, I guess what I'm saying Yeah. here. I don't think it's, I mean, it, there are some problematic aspects to it and it, I don't think that Hughes can get away from it, but I don't think that he's trying to say anything about that. Is I, the issue. One of the things I think it is important in situations like this is intent. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're go- it's very rarely will I say that about writing. But something like this, this I can because what we're not we're not talking about writing quality. We're talking about um, uh, broader text or, 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 you know, broader cultural stuff that you're trying to impose upon the text. Mm-hmm. And I think in those situations, if it's clear the author isn't even engaging on that level, it's like, well, OK. You know, well, I mean, I think that the other thing is that you know, here's also Hughes being a little clever himself, right? Because he's using our own, you and I as a reader, our own sort of like collective unconscious or, you know, knowledge of what elements of story to expect in certain types of stories to inject exactly the type of sort of faceless in this case, literally villain that you, uh, that you'd expect right in this type of story. Um, so, so, I mean, in, in a certain sense, he's being clever and I don't think that he's trying to say anything about like whether this is good or bad or whatever. I mean, obviously it, it is a, the framing is that, you know, the dream become like basically a existential threat to humanity, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, I guess we could talk about that, but I, we could just continue on with the story too. Yeah. It, it just, I mean, th- that, that storyline is there and it's, it's, it, it's important to the action, but I don't, I don't think it brings us anywhere we want to go particularly. Like, I'm not complaining. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that, like, yep. I don't want to have a two-hour conversation about the Dree because, no, no, you know, no. they're, they're, a, they're a MacGuffin. They're a device. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, but yeah, so, so oh, also, did you catch the, the, subtle, the subtle joke about the, uh, the, the people that live out in the swept? No. They're... They're they're dog people and they're called rovers. Oh no, I didn't. Oh, oh my, my god, Pete. <laughs> this is I mean, this is like just very very dry, uh, <laughs> very dry. Just not even trying to like he's not even trying to wink at you, but he's like, come on, nah. man. <laughs> yeah, we 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 like to have our fun on the podcast. Just you know, not pay attention. Apparently. <laughs> I'm mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. So we've got about eight minutes left, and I was thinking that you could you could just say the hero's name over and over for eight minutes. What do you think? <laughs> you mean Flevis Wasselthorpe? Yeah, Flevis Wasselthorpe. Flevis Wasselthorpe. Flevis Wassel. <laughs> say that five times fast, or five times slow, in fact. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, just saying it once it sends me into hysterics, so I, I don't know if I can take that. <laughs> well, so I mean, the the other thing that I did want to point out is that once you, th- it, this is the thing that was sort of surprising to me because I, that you get to a certain point in the story, and you're like, okay, so this must be wrapping up, and you're like, no, <laughs> there's a new a new complication, <laughs> and then yeah. another. Com- there's like at least three to four complications that happen before the end end. And it's, it's so like, there's, there's a lot of little clever bits in there. Uh, did you catch the, uh, Guth Bandar's, uh, favorite, um, favorite place to, to basically, uh, get away from everyone in the commons. Now, apparently I missed a lot of puns. Do go on. He describes it as basically a, uh, a, an island with a uh, what is it? 
something a pro a sensitive or approximate uh type of tree and you're like oh it's it's a cartoon like it's it's like a, a desert island from a cartoon he oh. just sits, sits there for a while to think about things He's like what the fuck is going on <laughs> yeah yeah i did i did notice the desert island thing but i didn't think about it much i thought i had to i must continue reading or i will not have read this <laughs> <laughs> i will have disappointed carlo yet again <laughs> Exactly. I don't want to be that guy. No, I mean it's fine. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I just really enjoyed uh, revisiting this, and I, I do want to try to make a go of you know sort of reading all of these stories sort of back to back. Maybe not, <laughs> maybe not in, in in a couple of days, but you know, like savor them over a week or so and and see what happens. Uh, because I, I I really I remember back in two thousand seven when um when I I really started to pay attention again to the you know like the state of science fiction and fantasy. You know that was the time period that I was like picking up for the first time again in a while, um, you know, sort of like science fiction and fantasy books. Uh, one of my buddies would hand me, you know, like he was, he was the one that was like, you got to read gateway. You got to read this. You got to read that. And I was like, okay, mm -hmm. cool. And, but from that, then I got into like, well, I might as well buy, you know, whenever I can buy uh, issues of, you know, the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. Um, and buy like you know the year's best you know science fiction and fantasy or whatever or the year's best science fiction which was usually um, uh, curated by uh, Gardner Dozois. R.I.P. Yeah, there's like five of them sitting behind me. Yep, I mean those things were massive. I I I would make a brave go of it and get maybe halfway and then be like, man, I. I can I skip ahead a little bit? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and if you run into a story you don't like, which, I mean, statistically, there's a lot in there. You're going to find something you loathe. You, you're telling me Sturgeon made this award? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stupid fish. Damn fish making a law? What are you talking about? <laughs> uh but uh, but yeah, like like this was the time period where I was like starting to really uh, get get into it because like up until then, I think I had been busy with other things and like, yeah, I read, you know, like a lot of the stuff that we've talked about on crap books, you know, like, you know, like obviously Xanth and Belgariad and David Eddings and Dragonlance and all that stuff. Um, some of them I don't know withstand the test of time and some of them. Uh, are surprisingly still good. I think Th there are, there are a couple of weirdly uh, there are a couple of uh, gems, I think in, especially in those D and D tie in novels. Um, Dragonlance, not so much. There were a few that really uh, stood out to me, but now I I'd probably go back and read the Dragonlance ones and be like, yeah, this is, I could see why I like this, but <laughs> It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I have some advice to our readers that I think it's, it, it's probably bad, but I'd, I'd like to give it anyway, if that's all right. Um, I've been, uh, one of the things that, that Podside has really done for me is made me aware that other people read and get me in touch with other people who read science fiction and fantasy recognizing there's a conversation about what should or should not be written in the future like this whole dialogue it's like like I was in a meeting room reading a book when all of you guys were talking about this stuff and <laughs> if you are right now like I was my suggestion to you is to stay that way because like I, I have grown through having a greater understanding of what's going on with the books, but it's a lot more stressful. Like being <laughs> aware that authors I like are under all of these pressures, that that there's heroes and villains and all of this, and that you could like it, it would be it would be a lot easier for me just to walk into half price books every three weeks and buy a hundred dollars worth of books. Much easier. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. It's tough, man. I mean, it's it's tough being a writer, and uh, sometimes 
you you do have to sort of like uh, this sounds really dramatic coming from me because like I I I made sure that I had <laughs> like it turns out my my folks knew some stuff. They said get a day job and don't depend on writing. <laughs> yeah, it's they wise. were right. <laughs> yeah, they were right. It turns out. <laughs> Um, but I think you were right too. I mean, you uh, there. I think there is uh, more and increasing positive news about your writing every day, and you know, people are chatting, chatting you up about it, and it's you're you're happy with your work. I like it, though. Like, I'm still waiting to read the most recent. When is that coming out? Uh, it looks like it might be coming out towards the end of the month. Weird. Okay. I, I nearly like accidentally demanded an advance copy. I'm more than happy to read it in published form. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, I'm really excited about that, but also like, I mean, I'm also sort of like at a place where I'm okay with not having, like, that's the thing. I think that the issue that um, Matthew Hughes has uh, and I think you, you you probably hit the nail on the head, Pete, is the fact that um, to a certain extent, he did not cultivate a readership uh, mm -hmm. in the ways that you see a lot of um, the, the more current um, crop of like SFF writers do where they, you know, they they're they're looking for those Hugo nominations in part because the Hugos are essentially um a popularity contest. I mean, uh, that sounds mean, but I, I think that even people who uh, who think the Hugos are okay would probably see that point. You know, like they are a fan based award. Um, anyone who attends a WorldCon uh, can or or pays for a membership for a WorldCon, uh, aka a, a participating membership, which is like fifty to eighty dollars, depending on the the where it's being held or whatever. I, I think that's more or less what it is. But um, the the issue is that you know, you you do need some of that uh, juice, right? You need people talking about your stuff for your stuff to be become popular. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's a weird tautology almost. Uh, and, and weirdly, whenever you break out, it's, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta never let go of that tiger tail because otherwise, you know, something, something bad might happen. Uh, yeah. And, you know, like in a sense, I get that. Uh, I, I can sort of admire that sort of hustle, but at the same time, like, I'm, I'm not sure I'm interested in that either personally. You know, if you want to do it, yeah. writers go with God. You know, you have my, you have, you. I, I'll wish you luck. Uh, but much like Guth Bandar, I'm not interested in that particular adventure. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I mean, you 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 got to pick what battles, you know, and yeah. that's yeah. I mean, and and on the other hand, like, and and I know we're going a little bit over here, but on the other hand, like, one of the things that. Um, you know, since you mentioned it, one of the things that I think about often is like, man, there's a lot of people that write, you know, like six, 10, 17 publications in a year. And you're like, how, how are you, how are you writing this much? And, you know, whatever, uh, that's not my, it's not my process. Uh, it, Absolutely. It, yeah, it, it it's despairing sometimes where you're like, oh, Jesus Christ, <laughs> why am I not doing that? And then you realize, oh, because, you know, I'm not them. So it's fine. You know, it's it's really funny because like when I was when I was speed reading, <laughs> trying to get ready for this, I was sort of expecting this to be a fairly lighthearted goof around episode. Mm -hmm. And. I mean, and I think I think the I think the subject matter itself is lighthearted if 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 written, but I I think it is it's allowed us to bridge into some places that are are uh, a little darker in a good way. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. it it makes it an episode I've enjoyed doing very much because like there's stuff we won't normally say. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I just want people to read Matt Hughes's stuff. I think he's he's fun to read. I think he deserves a bigger audience. Um, 
and part of his current uh, thing, which I mean, I, I'm not trying to make it sound like he's on a corner, you know, like rattling a tin cup, you know, hoping for change. But, you know, like, I just think I think he writes cool stuff. Uh, I think he should continue to write cool stuff I, as long as he can. I um, I have a request. Somebody is banging on my door and screaming. Um, would you be willing to wrap up this episode? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, thank <laughs> you, sir. Oh my God, the archetype has come to find you, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> so thank anyway, you. thanks, Pete. Uh, and, yep. and Chewy, thank you for the interjection. You, you're keeping us on point here. Uh, and to everyone out there, Thanks for listening. Go read Matt Hughes' stuff. Go read The Helper and His Hero. And, uh, you know, and we'll, we'll wait for you here to come back and chat about it. In the meantime, thanks again. We'll catch you next time here on Podside.